you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Right now on Fast Stock Slide is yet another Fed official says rates are going higher and they will stay there for longer. The S&P and Nasdaq now down three of the past four days. Google's AI oops moment shares plunging as the company's new chat GPT competitor has accuracy issues in a demo sparking fears that Alphabet is losing ground already to its rivals. And later, we're live in Beijing as China reacts to President Biden's State of the Union and the balloon shoot down. Plus, Capri's bad, awful, nope, disastrous quarter. That stock down around 25% today. The results so brutal, one of our traders kept hitting the sell button during the conference call. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Karen Feinerman, Steve Grasso, Julie Beal, and Guy Adami. We start off with some big changes at Disney. CEO Bob Iger announcing major job cuts, restructuring, and cost cuts in his first earnings report since retaking the helm at the entertainment giant. Shares sharply higher on the news, up right now by about 8%. CNBC's Julia Borson has been listening in on this call. Julia. Melissa, that's right. Disney beating expectations on the top and bottom line. That was driven by better than anticipated growth at the parks division and smaller than expected both operating and subscriber losses in the direct-to-consumer streaming division. But the big headline is on the call. CEO Bob Iger announcing a major restructuring, which he described as a transformation that rationalizes the streaming business and puts the company on a path to sustained growth and profitability. Now, the new Disney structure is has three segments. The first is Disney Entertainment, including TV, film, streaming, that will be co-run by Alan Bergman and Dana Walden, who previously ran film and TV. There's a new ESPN division run by longtime ESPN chief Jimmy Pitaro and a Parks Experiences and Products division, which continues to be run by Josh DeMauro. Now, Iger saying that this structure aims to return greater authority to creative leadership. Iger also announcing that the company is targeting $5.5 billion in cost savings, Two and a half billion of that is non-content costs, and then three billion will come from reducing non-sports content costs, also announcing the plan to cut 7,000 jobs. Iger also reiterating the company's target of Disney Plus hitting profitability by the end of fiscal 2024. Also, they just said that they aim to reinstate Disney's dividend by the end of the fiscal year. CFO Christine McCarthy just moments ago saying that the Disney Plus price increase is playing out as expected with only modestly higher churn. She also said that they're going to stop giving subscriber guidance. But she did say more generally that the core Disney Plus subscribers, and those are the most valuable ones, they grow only modestly in the second quarter, fiscal second quarter, at a similar pace to the first quarter, with higher core subscriber growth towards the end of the year. And just some positive commentary here about how the ad tier is off to a strong start. Make sure to tune in to Squawk on the Street tomorrow at 9 a.m. Eastern. Bob Iger, Disney's CEO, will be joining David Faber in a CNBC exclusive interview. Melissa? Julie, I'm curious in terms of the restructuring, your reaction to walling off ESPN, because that seems like an obvious move toward potential spinning it off or potentially allowing that business to get deeper into sports gambling. 
I mean, look, I think that it does exactly that. What's so interesting here about the ESPN business is that at one point it did really make sense to combine it with the linear TV business. But now sports is such a separate thing. The rest of the entertainment business, whether it's TV or movies and this question of whether things should be put on streaming or re released in a more linear traditional manner, that's a very different story than the decisions and conversations that are going on at ESPN and also the conversations about how to invest in sports rights um, and what to prioritize right now. So I do think it is very, very rational, and it does, of course, set up ESPN to be a separate piece that someday, should they want to separate it out, they would be uh, better equipped to do so right now. I had the exact same thought that you did as soon as I saw that, which I, I think they wanted that, people right. to have that thought. I mean, to me, it seems like this call was basically a uh, shareholder sort of presentation for the proxy fight. Mm -hmm. And, you know, look, at we're doing all these things. We're moving forward and we've made, you know, momentum right here. here and we're cutting costs there. And don't vote for Nelson Peltz. Right. That's what it seemed to me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Julia, we'll, we'll talk to you a little bit later on. Uh, Julia Borson, who will join, jump on the conference call. What was your reaction to all of this? I mean, you know when a CEO comes back, when a new CEO comes in effectively, mm. right? You know, you set the agenda on that first conference call. Well, I think everyone was so happy to have Bob Iger back. He's almost the adult in the room, if you will. And with him there, to Karen's point, you don't need Nelson Peltz. If he was not there, then you need Nelson Peltz in the room. For me, what I, I've been long this name. I thought it would bounce to 120, 130. If I look at the pandemic, the low is $85 during the pandemic. The high before that, the February high, 140. I don't know what's the right price, but I know it wasn't 85. I think it gets back to $130. I, I can make the case that it shouldn't get back to pre-pandemic levels, but I know that the parks are going to be opening up. The parks are going to surprise to the upside. That's why I held the stock. Yeah, Julie? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting when you talk about, you know, his being the adult in the room. But if you really look back on the M&A, and this has been Nelson Peltz's deck, which I think is a really good resource. Spent, they've spent approximately their market capitalization on new acquisitions that really haven't panned out. They've been very expensive. And all you've seen is an earnings contraction. So I worry that more of the same isn't really going to get the results that you want. And I think it makes sense just, you know, if you want an activist to go away, let them on your board. It typically has a really good impact and they stop talking because they can't. <laughs> Guy? Remember barbarians at the gate? I mean, there are barbarians at this gate. And I think this quarter is trying to keep them outside of the gate. And listen, cost cutting, I think, for a couple of quarters, people will be thrilled with. And you have to ask yourself. You know, is this a long-term approach to continue to get the stock to where it needs to be? Steve mentioned a level. I think it was March 20th, if I'm not mistaken, during the pandemic. The stock traded down to 85. We collectively talked about that back in November, that this is a level needs to hold, should bounce from here. It's done that. So 122, if you look at it, that was a high back in August. I think that's where we're trading now. So it makes sense we stall here. But again, Disney Plus being profitable, I will tell you, if Tim were here, he'd mention ARPU. Average revenue per user is actually trending the wrong way. It came in at mm -hmm. 393. She was looking at 425. So I think, to be honest with you, I mean, this is the quarter that if you've enjoyed being long the stock since the fall, I think you got to be taking some money off the table and look for a back and fill. You also mentioned, Karen, ARPU. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that was a character. Oh. 
Or Disney, right? ARPU, cute, fuzzy. It it might be. (laughs) Right. Uh, No, it's just a metric that sort of jumped out. Um, You know, I think that it's interesting, though. I just want to go back for one Mm -hmm. second. Had they done this ESPN spin, or spin is not the right word. Right. Uh, separation. Prelude yeah, to prelude, a spin. Right. Prelude to a spin. That's a movie, I think, right there. <laughs> but I, th- th- I think it would have traded even better in a slightly different era. I mean, media companies have been under tremendous pressure. I still think it's, it's the right thing to do. Um, so, I mean, clearly... Streaming is his is Iger's baby, right? This right. is he's his brainchild. He has got to make it work. Right. And, and it's, it, now he's saying it's profitability over subgrowth. So that's right. a different angle than when we're all looking at this. It was what was subgrowth. So he yeah. leaves himself. Well, now they don't even want to do something. They don't right. even want to talk about it. Right. So it leaves himself room to fail now and still win in the game because that's what he's looking for. I'm I, looking for more efficiencies uh-huh. versus the, the overall number. I feel like um, emphasizing profitability over subgrowth, I mean, that's good, obviously, from the share, you know, shareholder standpoint. But at the same time, guy, streaming and gaining share in streaming has always been growth at all costs, and it's always been content yeah. spend. And all of a sudden, every streamer out there needs to rationalize, and Disney needs to do that too because of the profitability aspect and the demand from shareholders at this point. So, is that the right environment to say, you know what, Bob Iger? is going to be able to make this work when his hands are tied a little bit in another environment? All that would have been fine, but not in this environment. Yeah, especially when the environment seems to be going back the, the wrong direction. And I will tell you, I mean, a lot of the things that a lot of the, the initiatives being put forth are some of the things that Tom Rogers has talked about for a while. I think there's an understanding. All right, subgrowth. We probably maxed that on this front. So let's stop talking about it. and Let's focus on profitability, which, by the way, is fine. I mean, you need to get to a point. But I also think they realize that they can out Netflix Netflix. And it's their world that everybody else is living in. I've thought for a long time that um, Disney Plus was a bit of a lost leader. It's proving to be exactly that, but it plays into the flywheel strategy. The question is, you wrap all this stuff up, talk about ESPN. He's now, he being Bob Iger, fighting this seemingly uh, double-sided war, one against DeSantis, the other one seemingly against Nelson Peltz. And do you want to pay 23 times next year's numbers for this stock. It's had a great run. Again, we had talked about it in the fall being cheap. I don't think it's cheap anymore. All right. For more on Disney's earnings, we are joined by New York Times columnist James Stewart. He's also a CNBC contributor, the co-author of the upcoming book, Unscripted, The Epic Battle for a Media Empire and the Redstone Family Legacy. That's going to be a juicy one. Jim, great to have you with us. Um, What's your take on on Bob Iger's big plan? Well, my take is he really has his work cut out for him. Um, I mean, he gave a great presentation. This is Iger, the master of shareholder communication. He was terrific at that. I give him all the credit for that. But let's step back here for a second. You look at the last quarter. There's a lot of ammunition for Nelson Peltz in there. You still you have flat subscriber uh, or no no subscriber growth. You have still a billion dollar loss in the Disney Plus. You have a sort of alarming decline in cash flow. Now, in fairness to Iger, he hasn't been there long enough to really do much about the spending, but there's a serious conundrum here. How do you cut this spending without losing subscribers? And I still think, you know, analysts, everybody in the street, investors believe streaming is ultimately a scale game. You have to be big. You have to spread those costs over a very large number of subscribers. And if you start cutting spending too much, I don't care how much you realign the creative teams, you can't just produce hits, and you're going to have trouble with those subscriber numbers. 
James, when you look at the, the option for third-party licensing, who would, he, who would the third party be? Everyone's a competitor. So if that's going to be where he's going to turn a revenue or turn a profit or increase something on the bottom line, who, who are these third-party people that he's going to be licensing? Yeah, yeah I, I have no idea. I mean, again, who are the big licensors? Well, you know, Netflix is, is number one. That's, uh, that's off the table. Um, yeah, I think it's baffling. Um, I think the idea that you're going to turn a profit in, in two years is, is a great aspiration. But is that really realistic, given the numbers we're seeing? I don't know. And you're going you're gonna to squeeze $5 billion out of there? That's a huge challenge. Cost-cutting has never been a long-term growth strategy for anybody, in my experience. James, I'm curious uh, how you're thinking about overall profitability. You know, Netflix running EBITDA margins between 15 and 20 percent. How on earth can they get there? Even if they get there kind of revenue-wise, it doesn't seem like the profitability will be anywhere near that. I, I, don't, I don't see it there. I, I mean, look, a lot of the success of Disney's numbers this quarter came from the theme parks. And, you know, again, they're doing a great job there. There's been tremendous pent-up demand. But that pent-up demand, the ability to keep raising prices, you know, streaming the lines and making people pay more, there's an upper limit to that. Um, you know, China reopening may help the Chinese parks, but you're, you're not going to have 25% growth at the theme parks for the foreseeable future. So if you start taking growth out of the theme parks, where else do you see it? The linear networks are in decline. Everybody knows that. I mean, maybe the advertising market is coming back or people think there's going to be a soft landing. I think that accounts for a lot of the run up. But even that is not a sure thing. But let's let's give them that. Let's say the advertising does come back. I, I don't see them getting to anywhere near the Netflix numbers. So, Jim, do you think that these problems are too big for Iger to tackle? Um, is it that Iger doesn't have the talent or is it the macro, you know, the environment just... It's just too challenging for anybody to try and, and tackle these issues. Well, I think uh, I think it's mostly it's the mostly the macro environment. It's the competitive environment, the competitive landscape. Um, you know, bigger is going to be better in this business, as far as I know. And, and Disney is hobbled by a balance sheet that has an awful lot of debt. You're not talking about him. You know, the, the days of Iger being the master M&A acquirer, nobody's talking about that except Nelson Peltz. Um, you don't see, you know, Disney's not going to buy a big competitor, even if they could get away with it in a, in a regulatory standpoint. So, again, if this is ultimately a scale business, where is Disney going to get the scale? I, and I don't think that's an Iger problem, but Iger is very invested and personally his legacy rests on streaming. And, and I'm sure he is going to work really hard. I mean, I think one of the things I both sort of admire him for it, but think, what was he thinking when he came back? He had the best reputation in decades of anyone in, in business, the media landscape. It was sterling. How can it get any better? His legacy was fantastic. And now he is back trying to defend an assault on his, you know, his legacy streaming service. It's coming from all sides. Jim, all great points. Thank you. It's always great to get your take. Jim Stewart Thank of The you. New York Times. Um, we sort of made that point initially when he came back, Guy, and it was sort of the flip side of it that Iger must feel really good about conquering these issues if he were to come back since he already had such a great legacy when he left. Why would he come back? And here we are. It's sort of the why flip side of it. Back? It's like, well, you know, why did you come back? <laughs> You're going to tarnish your reputation yeah. at this point. Listen, I, I, 
is this going to be? I, we all have egos, and at a certain point, you say, you know what? They've run this in the ground. If I come back, I can re, I can fix it. I can bring it back to the levels that it were at its zenith. Because everybody believes in themselves. That's why successful people are successful because, to a certain extent, they will certain things. But now you're starting to see some of the headwinds that Jim just talked about. By the way, the same headwinds that Tom Rogers talks about as well, and that we've brought up. You know this is a tough nut to crack in terms of the streaming business and in terms of getting to profitability. I don't see how it gets there. And, oh, by the way, it's not a cheap stock now either. So you have a couple of those headwinds. And, you know, again, talking about ego, I, I mean, I can't speak for Mr. Iger, but I guarantee he does not want Nelson Peltz anywhere near a board seat. That's just my opinion. Yeah, Disney shares up 5.2%, well off the after-hour session. Highs of up about 9%. We'll continue monitoring that call. Meantime, shares of Google parent Alphabet dropping more than 7.5% today. Their worst day since October, the company holding an event to show off its chat GPT competitor, Bard AI. This a day after Microsoft unveiled its own artificial intelligence bot integration. But things didn't go as smoothly as hoped. In an ad promoting the event on Twitter, Bard appeared to give an inaccurate answer about the James Webb Space Telescope, raising concerns over the software's potential. Shares of Alphabet are down three of the last four days and are basically flat for the month. When you're trying to sell artificial intelligence, it doesn't help, Karen, that the thing gets the thing wrong. Yeah. I mean, that's not a very good selling point. No, that's not a very good <laughs> selling point. I would imagine there's going to be a few fewer people working at Alphabet shortly. <laughs> but, I mean, it reminded me, do you remember when Elon had the, uh, the truck and it wasn't Elon who threw the ball at it, but it was it was a metal ball into that, you know, shatterproof glass. Oh, and it shattered. <laughs> and it shattered. And then they did it again. And it shattered right. again. I thought right. you were going to say the robots. There were supposed to be robots, but there were actually oh, humans, humans dressed as robots. There's yeah. so many different examples. But. Well, so, I mean, hopefully this, this will be a little blip. The mm -hmm. question, though, the much bigger question is, how big of a threat is this to, to Google? And, you know, is the Microsoft... You know, is this is this a parlor game kind of thing or is there a lot more to it? Google has not done a good job of show, this. This is not like they're late to come to this. Right. They've been they've been in the A.I. space for a long right. time. They just need to show the value. I mean, we I think Ruth Porat sort of spoke to DeepMind being um, they're going to be focus on it as just uh, a little more. Uh, transparent than it's been, which has been zero. So, um, you know, disappointing day. I, I, I still like Alphabet. I think we're in the middle of a transformation that uh, we don't know how it's going to shake out. I don't think this web telescope blip will, will be a factor. Yeah. Um, Satya Nadella did an interview with the Financial Times and said something to the effect of margins in search will continue coming down. And of course, this after they said, oh, we have this AI enabled Bing and Edge, Julie. Um, and the second thought to that was that Nadella then said, and Google's going to have to defend every bit of margin they have. And I think that really puts, that really crystallizes the sort of challenge that Alphabet now goes up against. Yeah, if you think about ChatGPT, it's, it's a pretty existential threat for the Google business. If you think about the Google search experience right now, it's not targeted towards giving you the best solution. It's just a mess of links that people have paid for. If you think about ChatGPT and its elegance in bringing a solution that is much clearer and much more targeted to what you're looking for, it has errors, but I'm pretty sure those are going to get better. That is a real threat to Google's business. And the problem is, is that they have the AI, I'm sure of it, to be able to you know, follow up with this, but then they cannibalize their ad business. So they're in a bit of a tough situation. The only silver lining to this that I would say is that this potentially opens the door to say to regulators, look, 
We have lots of competition now. We have this chat GPT thing. That is the only silver lining I see to this for Google. Do you see it as cannibalizing its ad business, Karen? Do I see Microsoft cannibalizing no, or them cannibalizing? Google cannibalizing its own ad business by layering an AI and making that search tool more effective. Uh, potentially, yeah. right? I mean, it's it's not trading at a crazy multiple like, you know, that the, the margins are unassailable. Right. So, uh, but it, that is potential for sure. Coming up, we've got more after hours action after the break. Shares of Robinhood and a firm moving in vastly different directions after the reports. Uh, the numbers in the quarters next, plus Musk's master plan, Tesla holding an investor day in just a few weeks. And Elon is teasing an energy plan for planet Earth. <laughs> That's not too big. Uh, don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money on the other side of this break. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Earnings alert on two fintechs. A firm shares dropping about 18% after reporting a bigger than expected loss, also lowering the outlook for the current quarter and announcing job cuts affecting 19% of its workforce. Robinhood, meantime, on the move, higher by 4.5% despite reporting a top-line miss. Kate Rooney joins us with more from both the reports. Kate. Hey, Melissa. So let's start with a firm here cutting its full year outlook and laying off about a fifth of its workforce. It's now expecting this year's revenue to be between $1.48 billion, $1.55 billion. That's down from the prior forecast. And guidance also lowering gross merchandise volume guidance. It did miss its own prior guidance for that metric as well, known as GMV. When it comes to those layoffs, you mentioned CEO Max Levchin saying and calling this a time of economic turbulence. He says a firm will adapt by refocusing the core businesses, and really only focusing on those high conviction things. He did say that they are closing down things like a firm crypto, for example, not seeing a meaningful jump in delinquencies, which had been a big fear for analysts. A firm says those improved sequentially and were in line with pre-pandemic levels. It has been an extremely volatile stock this year and a highly shorted name. Over to Robinhood, guys. So a miss on the top and bottom line. EPS and that loss was in part a result of what they called a processing error. So it was a mistake by the company on a reverse stock split on the trading app. That resulted in a loss of $57 million for Robinhood in the quarter. CEO Vlad Tenev just saying on the call 
that this was really disappointing, as he put it. And as a result, they made the decision to eliminate executive teams cash bonuses for last year. The CFO told me earlier that they're also able to hedge some of the slowdown on the revenue and uh, trading volume thanks to higher interest rates. So that's giving them a bit of a boost. Net interest revenue was a bright spot, up 30 percent. But monthly active users were down. Crypto and equities revenue also dropped 24 percent and 32 percent, respectively. We mentioned those cash bonuses. The founders are also taking a pretty big pay cut or at least foregoing a big payday. They're canceling about half a billion dollars in stock-based compensation. So that should help cut operating expenses by up to $50 million per quarter starting in Q2 and also reduce the diluted share count. We also had some FTX-related news. The DOJ had seized $55 million of Robinhood shares that Sam Bankman-Fried bought back in May. The Robinhood board approved a plan to buy back those shares, and they say they're working with the DOJ on how to do that. Back to you. The error on the reverse on the stock split, Kate, is just mind-boggling to me because you think that it's all computerized and, you know, it's it's done. It's not like some guy in the back, like, coding and he made an error in there. <laughs> how does that even happen? <laughs> That's the big question. Unforced error, for sure. And they, they really started the call off and said, you know, we've done a postmortem. We're making sure this never happens again. But the idea was that they, they had this reverse stock split on a stock back in, in the fall or around uh, November and said that they... They pretty much messed up, and it, it resulted in an accounting error. They said they figured it out pretty quickly, but ended up giving them a huge financial hit that resulted in that EPS loss, and as a result, decided no cash bonuses for executives and talked about accountability in that, but definitely uh, shooting on their own goal there and, and an unforced error. Yeah. Uh, Kate, thank you. Kate Rooney. Can you imagine if it was Google's AI that was in charge of doing <laughs> Okay, I'm a little confused on the stock-based compensation helping the cash flow. That's just removing it doesn't give you doesn't, doesn't give you cash. Doesn't give you cash. Right. So I'm a little confused. Was there a cash bonus that they're foregoing? Because it looked like it said stock-based compensation of five hundred million dollars, which you can imagine after a flub like that. Okay, yeah, that's a big hit. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't even get how that. I don't understand especially for a company that almost made their business on the stock split kind of frenzy. Right, right? Exactly. I mean, I don't get that at all. But yeah. the, the FTX thing is interesting. Mm -hmm. If they can buy that stock back, sure. um, that, that is interesting. I'm not sure how they'll do it, but it's But if you possible. also look at the, if you look at the price action coming off of that print, the, the print was not spectacular, yet mm -hmm. the stock is up after the print. So it means seller's exhaustion, overshorted. People were just getting too tired of seeing it at the same level, and there's bears throwing in the towel. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a bullish story. No. It just re reached a critical mass. I mean, the shrink on monthly active users, 11.4 um, uh, million in Q4 from 17.3 the year before, Guy. That's a massive shrink year on year. Yeah, and you don't want shrinkage, Mel, as you know. And it's a, everything's trending <laughs> the wrong good. way. And yeah, maybe it's just you know never good. And may, you know, to Steve's point, maybe people are just getting tired of seeing it at one price, and it's a short covering rally. I, I just this is a trading stock. I don't think this is an investable stock. I'll tell you about a firm if you want to go down that route sure. real quick, because this is a stock that's probably rallied what 160 percent from the 52-week low we saw a month and a half, two months or so ago. I think it got up to 21 and change. But to me, if you just really want to get it down to brass tacks, it's all about take rate, right? How are they doing? And it's not good. Take rate in terms of total revenue was 7.1%. A year ago was 8.1%. 
That's not good. And then this is even more important, I think. Revenue, so the take rate, revenue less transaction cost, 2.5%. A year ago, it was 4.1%. It's trending the wrong way, on top of which there are credit concerns out there. So it's just not a good business. Danny Moses has come on the show and talked exactly about this. So, look, the stock is down significantly. It should be. I don't know if it gets back to 8.5 bucks, which is where it troughed at. But it's going lower from here, I think, for sure. All right. Uh, there's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Musk going green? Elon teasing a master plan for sustainable energy here on planet Earth. So could this trade be hitting to the moon? Details on Tesla's Investor Day next. Plus, speeches and spy balloons. We're live from Beijing with the latest on China's reaction to the State of the Union. What it means for your money. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. We make way for Master Plan 3. Elon Musk announcing Tesla will hold its investor day on March 1st, teasing a quote, path to a fully sustainable energy future for Earth. The announcement comes as two Tesla models were named the best-selling vehicles in California. The stock has been on a tear since the start of the year, up more than 63%. Steve, where are you on Tesla right now? Got long today again. I feel like Al Pacino from The Godfather. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. I feel like the, the stock hitting that $200 mark, if you can stabilize above $200, there's a real gap in technicals up to $230, $240 for me. Uh-huh. I'm back in the name. So you'll be back... Uh, theoretically through the investor day or up I'm be, to? Well, I, it, yes, I think I, I, the way it stands right now, uh-huh. this could always change from a trader, but I'd rather be there. And I've been using the, the, the analogy of rabbits coming out of a hat with him. He can pull a rabbit out of the hat whenever he wants. And this is another rabbit and another hat. So you guys out there can't see this, but I can. I can see Julie Beale rolling her eyes when Steve Grasso was talking about rabbits coming out of a hat. And Julie, they may not actually be real rabbits. They could be pretend rabbits, but people think those rabbits are coming out of that hat, so they get along that stock, and the stock goes higher ahead of big announcements. No, I I totally agree with that. I think he's great at whipping up a frenzy, and, you know, he's got his Twitter and Tesla bros behind him, and that's that's a meaningful force for the stock. But, you know, I always come back to my second favorite F word, fundamentals, (laughs) <laughs> and I still think that this business is not really as healthy as it could be. It's going to face a lot of competition from well-established players. I give Elon a lot of credit for getting the automakers out of their hole and realizing that they have to have a proper EV option. But like, look, I, you know, I, upgrade, I updated my Tesla. Its windows just come down randomly. I'll come back to the garage and the one window will be down. Like, it's just not that quality of product. Building cars is hard. So I, I'm worried about the, the long-term fundamentals of this business and their ability to compete. 
Hopefully it won't rain on you, Julie. Um, coming up, a big warning to China. President Biden calling out the country after the spy balloon showdown. What rising tensions could mean for markets next. Plus, luxury losses. Shares of Capri Holdings tanking on the back results. But one of our traders is using the drop to throw more shares in the bag. More on that when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. A rough day for stocks as the Fed's Christopher Waller was the latest to make the case for rates staying higher for longer. The Nasdaq dropping almost 2 percent. The S&P down over a percent. Those two indices now back to negative for the week. The Dow shedding more than 200 points. And in an interview with Reuters out just in the last hour, J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon saying the economy is doing, quote, OK, but saying there are potential storm clouds. So he's back uh, as a weatherman here. Uh, where, do we, <laughs> where do we go from from here, Guy? What do you think? <laughs> I love that. I mean, he's fantastic. I don't know what he's auditioning for. It doesn't matter. He'll get the job. You know what I think. I've thought it for a while. This move since mid-December has puzzled me without question. Um, yesterday specifically was a really odd day. But, you know, I think some of the things are starting to play out. I think the hawkishness of the Fed is still there, despite the fact that uh, Powell seems to want to throw disinflation out a couple dozen times seemingly over his last times he's been out. The reality remains. I mean, the economy's slowing down. The market got expensive right before our very eyes at this 4150 or so level. If you if you put a market multiple of 18 on it, as I said yesterday, it's talking about $231 worth of earnings, which is not going to happen. Margins are compressing. We're seeing it left and right in all these different companies. Companies are cutting costs because they have to. That's just not an environment where I think you got to be overly bullish in stocks. So I think we continue to go lower from here. He's also um, making some forecasts on Fed funds. He says if inflation remains sticky. He sees Fed funds um, going above 5%, which is, you know, what we've heard from many, many Fed officials. But maybe it's more convincing coming from Jamie Dimon instead of somebody at the Fed, which apparently has, you know, <laughs> I don't know, withered. Or its credibility has gone out the window because nobody listens to the Fed anymore, Julie. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think the whole Fed's uh, ability and credibility to stay on message. It's, it's a challenge for them. No one really believes them. I, I kind of feel bad, honestly. Um, but people do really respect Jamie Dimon, and I, they, they do it for good reason. One, I think he's a visionary thinker. But two, he has access to a lot of data on customers, consumers, and businesses. And I think there is the real potential, maybe not so much for a, a, a meaningful slowdown, but there is a meaningful decline in confidence that you're seeing in businesses. And so that incremental willingness to invest and hire more people, it's, go, it's diminishing. And that is, that is a headwind for the economy. All right. Meantime, China today bashing President Biden's State of the Union address. CNBC's Eunice Yun is in Beijing with the latest reaction. Eunice. Thanks a lot, Melissa. Well, the Chinese foreign ministry said that responsible countries shouldn't slander and call on the U.S. to be objective and rational. Uh, the um, speculation has been that the Chinese didn't want to be seen as specifically targeting or um, outright criticizing President Biden's remarks during the State of the Union address uh, because of his relationship with President Xi. Now, this more muted tone 
uh, for the president comes amid a row over the Chinese balloon, which uh, the U.S. alleges is being used for spying. Of course, the Chinese deny that. And President Biden had described it as a potential threat to U.S. sovereignty. Now, that description has irked the Chinese uh, by the entire Biden administration uh, because the Chinese like to paint themselves, um, especially globally, as uh, um, one that is a champion of state sovereignty as well as international rules, in contrast with the Americans, uh, who they are uh, suggesting instead are interfering as well as imposing Western values. Now, the Chinese um, for the uh, Biden speech, uh, didn't specifically reference the balloon. However, uh, they did say, uh, the foreign ministry said, that the Chinese would firmly defend China's sovereignty. Melissa? Eunice, I'm curious, just to switch gears just a little bit, it's just at the end of the Lunar New Year celebration, people are done traveling, and there's an expectation, at least here in the West, that there is a reopening trade underway. And I'm wondering what it is like on the ground, because I think what what the difference between our reopening here in the U.S. and China's reopening is that there was no stimulus, that for a very long time people's incomes were impaired because they were locked down randomly, and so they, they lost, they just lost their living, were unable to pay rent in some cases, lost their homes in other cases. What is it like there? Well, it's absolutely as you described. I mean, there's a lot of discussion right now about reopening. Um, but at the same time, there's been a lot of talk about the the years lost of income uh, due to zero COVID. So uh, the way people have been approaching um, consumption, I mean, I, I just came back uh, uh, recently and my initial impression is that there's definitely a lot more economic activity than in, um, than in December uh, when I left. And um, there are people out there, they're um, there's traffic, actually. There's, you know, people going to shops and, and restaurants. Um, one big difference is that there are no scans, which it's kind of interesting because the last time I went to everywhere, people would scan you, um, you know, for your health codes or there is always the threat of quarantine and lockdowns. Uh, now that that isn't the case. So people are spending. They are going out there. Uh, but at the same, same time, they're they're worried about the fact that they don't have a lot of of um, you know money saved up, and there's been a lot of discussion about should I pay off my mortgage early instead if I if I am able to save um, I don't actually want to upgrade for uh, some of the kind of like the the items that we you could you know could put off for an upgrade such as an iPhone um, or or any type of smartphone which is one of the reasons why I think you see the, the smartphone sales down um, at one of its uh, lowest points in, in a decade and um, maybe why the the fact that uh, that Apple put out this discount, about a $100 discount, which normally would stir up a lot of attention in this mm -hmm. country, hasn't been discussed as much. All right, Eunice, thank you. Eunice Yoon. Um, the situation in China, Steve, is difficult. I mean, we don't know if we're going to give the balloon pieces back. Huh. China wants a balloon back, you know, all these different complicated issues. And it, the way we translate it is, what's the China trade? So if you look at, I'll, I'll use Alibaba as the stock. The stock stopped right where it stopped in February and in July. Every time it gets its feet underneath them, it, something happens, whether it's a political event or whether it's China doing it to themselves, self-inflicted, or the U.S.-China relations. So it, it seems as though the China trade wants to stop in its tracks at this point. All right, coming up, a Capri catastrophe. Shares seeing their worst day in nearly three years. Why one of our traders called the report a disaster. 
and another is hitting the buy button. We got those trades next, back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Capri Holdings getting crushed in today's trade. The Michael Kors owner plunging more than 20 percent, its worst day since March 2020. The company's seeing revenue fall across its luxury brands. Karen, you, you call this a disaster. You mm. started selling even before the call. Yeah, I just, I mean, I, I hated what happened here. The problem was Michael Kors, and it was primarily wholesale. And it was a giant miss on wholesale. And they also said, during the call, I believe it was, you know what, this isn't getting any better. And so we're going to have to try to rationalize. When you've got a giant revenue miss, it's very hard to catch up to that revenue miss with cost cutting or whatever. Um, and so it was incredibly disappointing. I couldn't understand how it was that they, this was so, uh, this wasn't apparent earlier. And so they talk about how they're going to do this fiscal year. And I think, well, how can you make any, how can you make an outlook with any credibility when you've just sort of missed this, right? And they talked somewhat about China. I think everyone knew China was in a difficult situation. So this was incredibly disappointing. I think their whole concept of creating a luxury conglomerate that would trade at a luxury price to earnings multiple has failed. And I think it, the stock is cheap now. The stock deserves to be cheap now. We've seen them go through this a number of times. I know this, you know, we'll do a buyback and, you know, we're too cheap. All that is probably true. I like John Idle. I think he's a good manager. I think he's a good executive. I don't I, just the, it's not working. Whatever they're trying to do is not working and they haven't fixed it yet. Mm -hmm. And so for that reason, I just feel like, all right, I got to get out of this. I can revisit it. Right. Um, I do still own some. I thought I was out. I actually was not 100 percent out. I could revisit it. But I think at least three-day rule here. At least. It is cheap. It should be right. cheap. What should it be? Expensive? Well, Grasso bought. <laughs> so so I, don't, I don't disagree with anything that Karen said. And, and I bought it because if I go back to February the, to March, the stock did the same thing. You go back to March pandemic, stock does the same thing. It's a serial trader like this. It looks like an EKG. Mm -hmm. If you look at the stock, though, they do buy back 20% of the company every year. So the and buyback yet, will. Here it is. It's what? And yet. Right. Here yeah, it is. Yes, yes, yes. I'm talking about stock trading, though. So this stock habitually trades from 70 to mid 40s. I picked up the stock. Buyback is back on Friday. I expect it to be trading back to $60, $70 in the next couple of months. All right. Well, speaking of earnings, Uber putting in its best day since November after reporting surprise profit for the latest quarter. The results coming ahead of Lyft's results tomorrow. One trader's eyeing a big move higher across uh, after the results cross. Kevin, Kelly Intelligence CEO Kevin Kelly joins us now. Kevin, what are you looking at? Hi, Melissa. Well, you know, the day ended at 1.6 times the amount of calls versus put. So it's very bullish activity today in Lyft, which is actually surprising given the fact that the volatility in the name didn't come down very much. It's still elevated at about 94. And what that means is going into tomorrow's earnings, you're going to see about a 19% implied move when they average just under 6%. But what we saw today around noon is that a Trader came in and bought a giant block of 2,228 calls that expire this Friday at the 18 and a half 
strike, right? So it needs to move up about 10% by Friday. And we've seen a proliferation in trading short-term options. And this one is a very bullish call on that. So we'll have to see how it turns out tomorrow for this trader. All right, Kevin, thanks. Kevin Kelly for more options action. Tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, a couple casino stocks on the move in the after hours. Wynn and MGM both out with results. We'll bring you the details on the quarters next. Welcome back to Fast Money. Earnings alert on casinos. Win and MGM both out with results. Shares are both higher after posting beats in the top line. Contessa Brewer joins us with the latest from the conference call. Joins us from Vegas, in fact. Contessa. Yeah, really, Melissa, we have a tale of two cities here and two companies. Both Win and MGM reporting all-time fourth quarter and annual records here in Las Vegas. On the call, CEO for Win, Craig Billings, said he is confident his more than $800 million in Vegas sets a new record for any standalone property on the Strip. Win executives said momentum indicates they may actually break that record in the first quarter of this year. And in Macau, where fourth quarter results largely are irrelevant because of the end of COVID restrictions, Billing said over Chinese New Year, and I'm quoting here, the market roared back. Macau was a rager. He picked a couple specific metrics to illustrate that they're meeting or exceeding 2019 levels. And MGM says it also has done an about phase, quickly returned to profitability in Macau, saw an increase in market share to 16% over Lunar New Year, up from the high single digits. CEO Bill Hornbuckle said on his call, which uh, has been ongoing here throughout the hour, that the government's award of 200 more tables should help them shore up that grab in market share in Macau. And finally, Hornbeckel says flat out they have moved on from any effort to acquire Entain, its partner in BetMGM. Uh, it, basically, they says we're going to go our own way. Yep. Contessa, Melissa? thanks. Contessa Brewer in Las Vegas for us. Guy? Yeah, well, we've been talking, we seemingly have been talking about when, as you know, it was the W in my dawn trade. That mm-hmm. year it didn't work out, but it certainly is working out now. Obviously, Tillman... For Tida bought this stock in the fall, I think around 60 bucks. I mean, that was pretty well done. And I got to tell you something. It's probably still cheap here. I understand why people would say, you know what, let's take some money off the table. But the worst is seemingly behind this stock. We've been saying triple digits for a while. Here we are. I think it can continue to grind higher. I've been pronouncing his name wrong all these years. I didn't realize how it's pronounced. Let the record show that you pronounce it Tillman Fertitta. Oh, I know his ears are ringing. Tillman Fertitta guy. All right, up next, Final Trades. Final trade time, guy. NOC held the July lose. Julie. I like Charles River. I think the fears of biotech spending being overdone. Grasso. Capri, you could sell off Jimmy Choo and Versace, and you get the rest of the company for free. Bye. Karen. Yes, I'm going to take sort of the other side on Capri, or Capri, which I think they prefer to be called. I don't know. Um, I think that here, I get what he's saying, but the three-day rule applies. Just wait a little. All right. And by the way, it's the last day for our page, our Fast Money page. Oh, uh, yeah. So goodbye. Thank you for all your help all these months. Best Great of luck work. at WNBC. That money starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. 
like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.